Okay, good morning. Yeah, good morning. The Lord be with you. So good to see you this morning. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Andrew, and I'm a What's up, Chris? How you doing, man? It's so good to meet you this morning. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to be here. Some of you have been coming here for a little bit, and you're like, that is a new face. Did they just hire that guy? I was on uh, sabbatical this summer, and uh, it was so good. My wife and I got a chance to be away a little bit. We did a little travel, and uh, I worshiped at some different places, worshiped at our parents' church, my parents' church up in Wisconsin, and uh, I visited Nueva Vida, our Hispanic campus over here, which was an unbelievably fun experience. I did not understand one word of what they were doing, but I felt the spirit and it was great. I was dancing on the front row, Hermias and Anna, and I went to New Life Midtown and that was great. Yeah, and I preached at a church in Uganda, which I'll tell you about a little bit this morning, and that was amazing. But I mean it when I say there is no place like home. It's just so good to be back last Sunday. Listen to Becky Harling preach. Can we give it up to Becky Harling? Uh, Becky Harling, so good. It was such a wonderful Sunday morning. I sat on the front row last Sunday, and as Jillian was singing the doxology, tears are running down my face. There's just something about being home. So I'm happy to be with you. We're going to open the scriptures in just a moment here uh, to the Psalms. I'll be in Psalm 133 and 134. Before we get to the text of scripture, uh, today's a very special day for many reasons. It's the day of the Lord, right? You know, and the Lord is in this house, and that's a good thing. And it's Sunday. That's a great thing. And do you know why else today is amazing? Because this day, 23 years ago, that woman said yes to me. We became husband and wife. It's our anniversary today. And we decided to celebrate it with you all. That's how much we love you. And also, you know, I mean, and truly though, special applause to Mandy Arn. Because it's been a long and arduous journey for her. And so one more time for Mandy Arn, who has, through many dangers, toils, and snares, She's made it to this moment, and uh, I thank God for the gift of her and for the gift of marriage. So we're going to start a series next weekend on the book of 1 Kings, the Old Testament book. So this is 1 Kings is right about the time David is getting ready to pass away and hand the kingdom over to his son Solomon. And we see this whole sort of drama of how God exercises his kingship among Israel through these very fallen, very limited, very finite people. And so I'd encourage you ahead of time to begin to incorporate First Kings into your devotional life, read a chapter at a time and kind of meditate on those themes. And we're going to spend the entire fall uh, working through First Kings as we make our way to Advent. But here this morning, I want to finish up the series that Pastor Rory and some of our other, other guest preachers from around New Life uh, began, which is a series on the Psalms of Ascent. And I'll have more to say about this in a minute, but the Psalms of Ascent are like this journey, this annual pilgrimage that the people of God would take as they made their way up to Jerusalem. And here with Psalm 133 and 134, uh, we bring the Psalms of Ascent in for a landing. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 133, hear the word of the Lord. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, togetherness. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, would everybody say there? There. There the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore, Psalm 134. Praise 
The Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. And let's pray. Yeah, the psalmist was right. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. I felt the pang of that this summer as I was away from my brothers and sisters, as I was away from this family. I felt the ache of that. And I, I'm thinking this morning, Lord Diedrich Bonhoeffer talked about how much of a gift it is to be among the people of God. And he says it's a gift that we shouldn't take for granted. We live in a country that allows us to worship together. What a gift. And your spirit has somehow drawn us all together. And some of us have been in this journey, New Life East journey for three and a half years. And we've got that level of relationship. Some of us are just getting to know this community. Others of us are standing on the fringes of it. But it is good and pleasant. Wherever we are, somehow you're drawing us into the fellowship. And so we acknowledge the truth of these things before you. And we thank you for how these texts, what they are doing is they're helping us understand the way that you have designed life to work. And it is not your will that life would fall apart for us, but it's your will that our lives would work, that they would flourish just like you intend. And so this morning, what can we ask of you, God? But ears to see, or ears to hear, <laughs> and eyes to see, and hearts to know and understand what you're saying, and then bodies, wills that are ready to follow after you. So come, we pray. Open our minds, open our hearts, teach us your ways. We pray the prayer of Moses, the man of God. Teach us your ways and show us your glory. Those are our two cries. Grant these things to us. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. The Psalms of Ascent really have been a journey. If you remember all the way back, to the very beginning of them, Psalm 120, the psalmist says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me, save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, everybody else goes to war. And what the psalmist does with that psalm is the psalmist initiates this journey that's going to culminate in the place where God dwells. And so the whole Psalm of Ascent really are that. They're this thing that the people of God, they would hold these Psalms as they traveled, many of them from many, many miles away. They would travel a journey to Jerusalem and they would sing these songs together. And these songs, therefore, become definitional, not just for sort of the pilgrimage of God's people into Jerusalem annually, but they also become a kind of metaphor for the spiritual life in general. That what happens to us, like Eugene Peterson says, that conversion really is the moment where we look around and we go, this place is crazy. <laughs> and I'm caught up in the craziness too. I call on the Lord in my distress and he saves me. And we begin to trust God to lead us to the bountiful place, to the fruitful place. And so what I love about these Psalms of Ascent is that this journey, like where it culminates, is not in the sort of individual experience of God you know, this person has like an awakening moment over here in Psalm 120, and then that leads them to some kind of Buddhist nirvana over here. But where does it actually land for the psalmist? Like, where does the journey 
find its culmination? Where does the journey come to fruition? Well, where it comes to fruition is right in the house of God. So the psalmist says, we got, look at us, we got here. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's like this precious oil, anointing oil. It's like the dew of Hermon. Hermon was the highest of the mountains in that mountain range around Jerusalem. And so the dew was heaviest there. And when the dew would fall, it would refresh everything around it. He says that when God's people come together in unity, that's what it's like. That it's this place where the anointing falls. It's this place where refreshing falls. He says there, in that place, the Lord bestows his... Do you have the Bible in front of you? You notice it? There... It's in verse 3. There the Lord bestows his. There the Lord bestows his. Yeah, I'm going to do it one more time. Yeah. There the Lord bestows his. There in that place, he bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so he says, what are you going to do? He says, praise the Lord, Psalm 134. All you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And may the Lord, do you have the text in front of you? Bless you from Zion. He is the maker of heaven and earth. We could say it this way. Put the next slide up on the screen. That the Bible's version of the good life, the absolute best that life can be, is a vision of togetherness with God's people in the presence of God. If you ask the Bible writers like, hey, talk to me. Like when life is working, the best that life can possibly work, what does that look like? And you know what the psalmist would say? The psalmist would say, oh, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, down on Aaron's beard. Aaron was one of the priests, the original priests of Israel. Uh, he conveyed the presence of God to the people of God. And so the psalmist says that when God's people are hand in hand, arm in arm, heart in heart, that's the best that life can be. It's like the anointing of God falls on the body. It's like the dew of Hermon falls on Mount Zion. And there, the psalmist says, where? Right there. In that place of unity, there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The Hebrew is actually more explicit. It doesn't say that there God bestows the blessing. I'm actually not sure why the NIV chose that. But the Hebrew says that there the Lord has commanded the blessing. That means that wherever you find unity, wherever you find God's people together in the presence of God, lifting up worship and prayer, the blessing of God that restores human life and makes it sound is already there. You just have to live into it. The Bible's vision of the good life, the absolute best that it can be is togetherness with God's people in the presence of God. I've seen this so many times. I've literally seen this picture here, the pilgrims coming into Jerusalem, weekly, annual basis. I've actually seen this with my own eyes. I got a chance last year to go with some friends uh, to the land of Israel. It was an amazing experience. And we were at Capernaum, well, some of the first miracles of Jesus. And we were in the Sea of Galilee, all these kind of surrounding areas. But the absolute pinnacle of the trip for us was coming into the holy city of Jerusalem, the old city. And it is an extraordinary experience if you've ever been to Israel, if you get the chance to go to Israel, go. So much of the Bible comes in context and wandering around that city and seeing the ancient sites and the holy places and being able to think about, oh yeah, like this thing in the Bible happened there. And so much of sacred history took place in that place. But we were also there. This was one of the most extraordinary experiences I've had in my life. We were actually there on the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day, you know, one of the uses of the Psalms of Ascent is that you would do this on a weekly basis. 
It represents this kind of weekly coming together of the people of God. And, and that old city of Jerusalem is an extraordinary place because it's bustling with so many people. But on the Sabbath day, it's quiet. And not just in the old city of Jerusalem, but the whole extended area is quiet as well as all of the Jewish people of the area. They're in their houses and they're preparing their hearts for worship is what they're doing. And so then as the sun begins to set, all of a sudden you see that everybody starts piling in to the old city of Jerusalem. And so we went there together and we sat on chairs. We're Gentiles, so we're not allowed to go in there, but we sat on chairs just outside this sort of gated area. And we watched just at the Western wall of Jerusalem, what they call the Wailing Wall, the old wall of the temple that still remains. And we watched people begin to pour into that. And the hum of anticipation was unlike anything I've ever been a part of. The air was like electric with this feeling as you watch people come out from their homes and their dwelling places and they're standing together and you've got folks that are at the wall and they're praying at the wall and pouring out their heart to God. And then you've got elderly folks who are sitting at these little tables and they're pouring over the ancient scrolls, meditating on the words of God. And you can hear them praying and you hear those folks praying. But you also just hear the clamor of anticipation as people are coming in. And then we saw these little kids playing in the holy areas and nobody was like quelling the enthusiasm of the children. All of it was just, all of it was just there. And then like to cap it all off, there were like these birds darting back and forth and you could see them building like little nests in some of the cracks in the wall. It was like the psalmist. Do you remember that psalm, Psalm 84? Even the sparrow has found a home, the swallow a nest for herself where she may have, it like happens. And I sat there watching that and I went, that's it. But that's everything that we can hope for in our lives is that we'd have a people to come together with in the presence of God, the joy in the place, the holiness in the place, the sense of blessing. On the, it was so palpable. And I experienced it again this summer. I told you I took a trip to Uganda, a trip that absolutely, and I don't say this lightly, it changed my life to be with the Ugandan Christians. I got a friend that runs a missions organization over there and they're doing this incredible community development work, working with churches out there, working in healthcare and, and working in business and working in education and agriculture, trying to raise the water level of the communities. But because they're working with the churches, I mean, it's like this social evangelism is what they're doing. And because they're working with the churches, the churches are filling up with all of these broken and needy people that are finding a home in the presence of God. And so we did all of this work. We were doing some work with leaders in the city of Namayemba. And then they gave me, like, they invited me to preach at one of the churches which was like the privilege of a lifetime to be able to stand up in front of these Ugandan Christians and share the word of the Lord with them. But let me tell you about a worship service in Uganda. Do you know when it starts? 9 a.m. Do you know what it ends? 12.30. And that's not like five services. Do you know how many services it is? <laughs> One service. And we wandered in at about nine o'clock or so, and there were 30 or 40 people there beginning to pour their heart out to the Lord and listen to the word of the Lord, and they're sharing greetings with each other. And as the time went on, more and more folks were there, and it was elderly folks, and it was young kids, and it was like everything in between. And they're worshiping and singing these songs together, and then they're preaching sermons, plural. Do you know how many sermons they preach? Two sermons! I'm not even kidding, in a single worship service, they have the first sermon early, 
which is like the first sermon is like the sermon that kind of stirs you up for repentance, you know, and that like helps prepare hearts for like what they call the main word. And I was the main word later at about 1145, I delivered them. And then they have multiple offerings that happen and they have multiple choirs and dance groups that are coming up. And, and so you know what the most extraordinary piece of it was? Nobody left. By the end of the three and a half hours together, it was 150 people crammed in this building. It's built of wood and steel and brick and mortar and mud all packed together that they built with their own hands. And the joy in that place was over the top. But I've never experienced anything like it, quite honestly. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And the Ugandan word for white people is mzungu. And so there were four Mazungus, you know, there that day. And we're all kind of sitting on the back row with the pastor's wife trying to be inconspicuous, but it's a little difficult <laughs> given the circumstances to be. And so, and we're trying to get into like the music and stuff and all of that. And the kids, you know, the little Ugandan kids, they're all kind of on a, sitting on a mat over here and they're doing their thing. But then they kept kind of looking and like side glancing at the Mazungus. Like, what are they doing? Are they okay? Do they know how to do this? They don't know how to do this. God bless them, you know? And so one of the dance troops came through and there's all these people up on the platform dancing. And so then they came down and you know what they did? The most extraordinary thing. They grabbed the arms of the Muzungus and they drug us up onto the stage and we're dancing along with them up there. And it's like a feeling, honestly, of euphoria. This incredible experience of being in the presence of God with the people of God. And it made me think about, and like for them, that's the absolute best that life can be. Together with God's people, sharing life in the presence of God. And it made me think that it matters what kind of story you tell about what life is designed for and what the meaning of life really is. And in America, the way that we tell that story is we talk about the American dream. And what we think is that like the absolute best that life can be is that you graduate from high school and you go to college and you get a good degree and then you go to graduate school or something and you set yourself up so that you can get a really, really good job so that you can absolutely crush it. And you find somebody that you can spend the rest of your life with and then you have 2.3 children and you get a pretty nice house somewhere in the suburbs and maybe if you're lucky, you'll be able to drive a Tesla or something like that at some point. And then hopefully, like if you manage, like you play your cars just right, you'll be able to retire at like 57, 58 years old. And then you'll be able to just kind of like spend the rest of your life laying on the beach drinking pina coladas. And that's the, and we honestly, we've been trained to think that that's the, it's this like solitude, this like vision of solitude and self-indulgence all wrapped up into one. And we wonder why we're so sad. <laughs> so we don't understand that what we're doing is we're defying the very way that God has designed life to work. Think about what the psalmist says. There the Lord, what? Do you have the Bible for you? There the Lord bestows, there the Lord commanded his blessing. Where did he command the blessing? In the place of togetherness, of unity with the people of God. And these people, these Ugandan Christians, most of them who don't have two shillings to rub together to their name, have more joy than any hundred wealthy Americans that you can line up all put together. Why is that? Because they're living consistently with the way that God has made us to live. And it made me think even more about the way in which we talk 
about the gospel in the American church? Because for many of us in the American church, the way that we think about the gospel is that it's basically just the American dream with God all wrapped up into it. Not only are you going to go to college and go to graduate school and you're going to get the nice job and the wife or the husband and the 2.3 kids and the Tesla and the retirement, but you're also going to be able to go to heaven and live in a mansion by yourself somewhere away from all those annoying annoying people when you die. And do you know that in C.S. Lewis, in one of his great books, The Great Divorce, that's actually exactly how he describes hell. Hell is a place of solitude away from other people where you're just living this selfish, self-absorbed existence with no regard really for God or no, really, no regard really for other people. It's just this like, you just this vacuum onto yourself. We're living apart from the best things that life can offer us. And then we're wondering why we're so sad all the time. Think about what Jesus says. This is John 17. Jesus, who lived the story of the psalmist, lived the sojourn of the psalmist. Then Jesus says this, watch this. Here's the eternal son of God who has taken on human flesh and he is getting ready to die and leave this world. And this is his high priestly prayer before the father. And listen to what he prays. He says that my prayer, father, is not for them alone, not just for his 12 disciples he's talking about. But he says, I'm praying also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be what? You can almost hear echoes of Psalm 133 here, can't you? How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Jesus says, I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them would be one Father. Now think about what he says here. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Is there any distance between the Father and the Son? Now, between the Father and Son, there is perfect sharing, there is perfect community, there is perfect coming together, there is perfect unity, there is perfect oneness. And Jesus' prayer, not just for his 12 disciples, but for all of those who will believe in him through their message, by a show of hands, how many of you is that? All of us. Jesus is praying for us right now. He says that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, and may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that all of them may be one. Say it with me, church. That's the vision of the good life. It's a sharing together in one another that is so profound that it not only mirrors the relationship between the Father and the Son, but it's actually drawn into the relationship between the Father and the Son. Do you understand that this is exactly what the psalmist is saying? Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in... What's it like? What's well, like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon that falls on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his, I know you know it by now, church, even what? Life forevermore. These are the best things that life can give us. A sense of connectedness with other people and connectedness 
with God. By a show of hands, how many of you are introverts in this house? It's okay. I'm raising my hand too because I'm one. Let me tell you something about Andrew Arndt here. Some of you already know this. Andrew Arndt loves the life of solitude. <clears throat> so good. You give me a choice to be like on a walk in the woods or sitting alone on my porch or whatever, or being in a large group of people, I am choosing aloneness every single time. I love solitude. I love being by myself. I love that place where you just kind of like you've blocked the world out and you're drinking deeply of the presence of God and you feel like you can gather your own thoughts up and your heart up and your strength comes back to you. That is energizing for me. I love that. But do you know what my favorite moment of the week is? It's this. And do you know my do you know my absolute favorite moment of this moment that we share together is? I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. It's standing on the front row over there after I've gotten done preaching and I've invited you all to the table and I watch us together stream through and I get a chance and you've probably got one of these from me. I get a chance to see you come through and I remember because I see I see you and I see myself and I see us in the reality of Jesus Christ and I remember how good and pleasant it is to be together and you'll come through grabbing the bread and you'll get a big whack on the back for me or I'll pull you out of the line because there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than having each other. There's nothing better than loving each other in the presence of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his great little book, Life Together, you know what he says? He says that Christianity is nothing less than and nothing more than togetherness, community in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And, and we keep trying to like have this experience of God apart from the people of God and we wonder why we're so depressed and said, this is it. This is the summit. This is the pinnacle. And every week when we come here, we're enacting the journey of the psalmist as we make our great sojourn into the presence of God one day. Do you know what? It's like when finally, the heavens and the earth are rolled up like a scroll and all things have come together. Do you know what's going to happen? It's going to be Psalm 133 and Psalm 134 writ large across the cosmos. All people in heaven and on earth, every creature in heaven and on earth, the four living creatures and the 24 elders and everybody together connected in Jesus, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the quicker, the quicker, we realize that that is true and begin to align our lives with it, the more flourishing will come to it. Every good thing that happens, that has happened in my life has come because of this. I think of all the great friendships that I've had in my life. I think of all of the places where I'm being like the life of God is coming to me. Even now, It happens because of this weekly summit where we come together in the presence of God. I think about, I'm looking at my dear friend Bruce McCaleb sitting over here on the second row, Bruce and Linda. Do you guys know Bruce and Linda McCaleb? Can we give some love to Bruce and Linda McCaleb? You don't come across people like this every day. And I've known these guys for about five years, I think. We got to know each other at the Friday night community, and then we launched New Life East, and they've been here just about every Sunday. And I've gotten to know Bruce deeply over the last few years. And Bruce is about twice my age, and I look up to him. I see him as a friend, and I see him as a mentor. I see him as a big brother. I see him as a father figure in the faith. And when I was in the middle of my sabbatical in July, Bruce and I got together and I did coffee with Bruce and he wanted to hear how I was doing. Andrew, how's your sabbatical going? And I'm sitting at Starbucks with him telling him about my sabbatical. And every time we get this, happens every time. 
Bruce and I will get together and he looks at me across the table and he goes, I just want you to know. And then all of a sudden I start seeing his eyes wetting. I just want you to know that I love you and I pray for you. And I want you to know that you're doing a good job and keep it up and we've got your back. (laughs) Hear me clearly when I say to you, Life doesn't get better than that. And the many forms that that takes among us, husbands and wives reconciled because of the presence of God and all of a sudden there's traffic in their hearts between them because of the presence of God. Parents and their kids that experience the presence of God and all of a sudden the relational connections between them are stronger. Strangers in this place, all of a sudden they come together and there is this sense of mutual encouragement and empowerment in the spirit. That is the best that life can be. And we have this in our country right now. I see it in the church as well. We have this epidemic of depression and anxiety. And I know I am not so fool enough to believe that that stuff doesn't have chemical causes. And there are also good chemical solutions to some of those things. And sometimes that just happens. There are imbalances and you need a little medication and that will get you right. But I am convinced now beyond a shadow of a doubt that those things are in our lives for the most part because we have been living against God's intention. We're not in community. We don't have one another. We don't have a strong sense of connection with the presence of God. And so we're like living offline in our spirits. And then we wonder why we're so sad and we wonder why we're so fearful. We're not living as God has designed us. Do you know that the scientists, the neuroscientists are saying now that we literally, the way that our brain is developed, the way that God has installed it is that most of its most critical functions actually don't work unless you're in deep and loving relationship with other people. And I think that what the scientists can't say, but they could, they would if they could, is that that relationship includes relationship with God, that somehow when we're in relationship with one another and with Almighty God, that we become all that we were ever meant to be. We need to lean into these things. I'm gonna wrap up in just a second here. I told the crew before I started preaching this morning, I was like, I haven't done this in a couple months, so I don't know how this is gonna go. It's either gonna be really bad or it's gonna be really long. (laughs) But maybe we can bring it in for landing here in a couple minutes here. I wanna give you a few reasons why I see that we hold ourselves away from community and I'll hit these very lightly and then I want to tell you a story and then we're going to come to communion together. Number one, I honestly think that one of the biggest reasons that we withhold ourselves from community is laziness. Oh, I know. And you're like, well, you've been away for two months and now you're going to come in here and you're going to wag the finger at me and tell me I'm being lazy. No, I'm not wagging any finger, but that is true, isn't it? We start rolling around in our bed Sunday morning, you know, and we go, oh, man, I don't know. Wouldn't it just be so much better to stay in my pajamas and watch football all day and whatever it is, whatever your thing is. Or maybe I'll just, like, go to the mountains or something, you know, and I'll just experience solitude there, and that will be really refreshing. And at some point, you have to, this is like anything in your life, you have to make a decision about what is good for you. Twinkies or broccoli. You know what I mean? (laughs) Laying around on your bed all day or going for a walk. Decide what is good for you and just do that thing. And have you also ever noticed that sometimes when you just get your body doing things, there are times that your spirit is like, no, I just don't want to do that. But then you go, no, I know what is right. And so you put on your friggin' pants (laughs) and you... (laughs) 
and you go to church and you start singing the songs and seeing people and all of a sudden it's like all of those systems of your humanity, they go online. Again, please choose what is right. And if the scripture says that this is the best that God has for you, then maybe just say yes to that and trust that laziness is one reason that we hold ourselves away. I think another reason that we hold ourselves away from community is just busyness. Oh, ow. But you know, in America, I hear this one more and more, and it is, I'm convinced this is one of the great idolatries of our day. I hear this with parents, and I'm just gonna needle you just a little bit. Parents whose kids are involved in sports. Oh, you don't understand, my kid is involved in soccer. That's why we're away 48 out of 52 weekends of the year. So I'm just gonna put this out in front of you, all right? If you are too busy to worship on Sunday, you are sinfully busy. You know, we got a commandment about this, by the way. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that's right up on par with like, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness. You know, all those, you're like, well, yeah, but those are the serious ones. This one's like, do you know that the Ten Commandments do not discriminate? You're not like ranking. Well, this one, okay, Moses was kind of having a weird day about that. Plus, you know, leader of Israel, he liked it when everybody showed up on Sunday for his stuff. So you can kind of understand why Moses would say, remember this. No! What the Ten Commandments are saying to us is that the Sabbath day is as critical to the flourishing of life as not murdering other human beings. So stick that one in the little pipe of your school activities that keep you busy on the weekend and smoke it. We better stop while we're ahead or something started. <laughs> All right, laziness, busyness, third one, offense. But this is probably bigger than the other two. Something happened to us. Somebody did something to us. Somebody said something to us. Or, shocker, the church disappointed us. Oh, well, you know, it was going pretty good over there until this one thing happened. And I would have expected my leaders to be a little bit more on the ball, you know, and I just didn't get an email from anybody apologizing profusely for that egregious offense that took place against me within 48 hours. So I don't know that I can... What do you think this place is? We're a community of sinners. And we... You know, one of those fascinating things to me is that we keep being shocked that sinners sin. And then the worst part of it is we hold ourselves up above the community of sinners going, well, you know, that's an especially sinful group of people over there and I would never do anything like that. You're part of the deal. Do you know what Jesus said? Offenses will come. Offenses will come. And they will threaten to sever your connection with the body of Christ unless you do the hard work of forgiveness. And if we cannot do the hard work of forgiveness, and you know what forgiveness, the Greek and the Hebrew both mean this. You know what forgiveness literally is? K 
casting the thing away. Every time that offense tries to stick to you and bug you and make your mind all messed up about how evil those people are out there, you know what you're going to do with the thing? You cast it away from you. And I promise you it's going to, somebody got scared back there. <laughs> and I promise you it's going to try to come back and get wind up in your hand, which is why you remember that story the disciples were like, Jesus, how many times should I forgive a brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Seven is like the symbolic number of completion, perfection. Remember that? The perfect number of times. Look at me, Jesus. I just keep chucking it away. I'm so amazing. And do you remember what Jesus says? I tell you not 70 times, but 70 times seven times. If you're going to last in the body of Christ at all, if you're going to experience what the psalmist talks about, Psalm 133, if you're going to experience the unity that Jesus talks about in John 17, then you know what you're going to have to get really good at doing? Cast that sucker away. And you know part of why you're going to do that and extend that mercy to others is because you are a sinner too. And you have been messing up in people's lives in ways that you do not even begin to comprehend. And do you, if you knew how many times other people have had to, in the privacy of prayer, cast away your offense, you would fall down on your knees sobbing with contrition. I'm so sorry. And also gratitude that there's mercy like that in the world and so laziness and busyness and offense. And now the last thing with this, I'll invite the band to come up for communion and we're gonna prepare our hearts for communion. There is a fourth reason. And sometimes the reason that you withhold yourself from the body of Christ is because it is just for one reason or another, it is just too dang difficult to darken the doors of church. And it's not laziness and it's not busyness and you have done the hard work of forgiving and you keep trying to cast the thing away, but you have memories of what was done to you and you have memories of what was said to you and there is trauma that you're carrying around that is not reducible to just, oh, you know, if you just forgive and get over it, it's not like that. And if that's you, I just want to say to you that Jesus loves you and Jesus sees you and Jesus has mercy on you and if you'll trust your heart to Jesus, he also, in a time that makes sense to you, will call you back in and rebuild your connection with the fellowship of God. So I've been walking with Jesus all of my life and this is what I know about King Jesus. He does not push us, he does not bully us, and he does not badger us into the things that are right for us. But he's the good shepherd and if we trust him, He'll take us by the hand and he'll lead us like the good shepherd does in exactly the green pastures that God intends for us to go. And so I'm saying to you this morning that you can trust him. Can you receive that this morning, church? Can we stand to our feet? How good it is. Can we lift our hands to heaven? Here it is, this is the moment. Jesus, the one who gave himself for the life of the world. Jesus, the bread of God broken. Jesus, the life of God poured out. 
Jesus, the great high priest upon whom the anointing oil of the Spirit, Jesus, Mount Hermon in the flesh, upon whom the refreshing dew of God has fallen. And as we draw near to you, what we find is that our lives are refreshed by your presence and your goodness. And so here we are at the table. We're hungry and thirsty for you, and we're also hungry and thirsty for that life in the Spirit that you've promised us. And so we say, as we come to the table this morning, we pray that you would draw us into deeper fellowship with you. And I also pray that you would give us a deeper sense of our connection with one another, that you'd help us see again how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, come and renew our hearts at the table. And so we remember that on the night that you were betrayed, Lord Jesus, after you'd given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it. And you gave it to your disciples and you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do it whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, take bread and cup this morning. Bless them, break them, distribute them to us and make them channels for your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, I'm gonna invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion will be on my right and my left. You'll exit up the center aisle. The server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the cup and you'll take it as you head back to your seat. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God and they are given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
just paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as Sing Jesus pay do something. Am I on? Can you hear me? I'm going to have you do something before we close. I want you to take the hand of the person next to you. Can you do this, Colin, with one hand? He's going to find some way to do it. Yes, there we go. And can we just thank God for the gift of togetherness? Jesus, we thank you. We say together how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And here it is, you did it again. It's like precious oil. Sport on the head, running down on the beard, down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. And here in this place of praise and togetherness, you're bestowing blessings. So we say, do it more and more, O oh God. Deepen our fellowship, deepen our love, deepen our sense of connection with one another. Do it as we are caught up in the life of the Spirit. Grant it, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Thank you. I'm going to invite the altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. Remember, fellowship hour is happening. Coffee and donuts, we'd love to see you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon. I did too. I was like, cool, 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 cool. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Well done. Feel good. Good job, Felipe. Good job, Ben. I feel a little shaky on the front. I don't know what it is. I feel like people aren't grabbing it. You guys feel that?